Sometimes. But Master Warner was one of those questioned about heretical talk. He is, shall we say, keeping his head low. I am trusted by the Queen. She herself asked me to be her emissary. I spread my hands. I am nothing more than a lawyer practicing in the courts. How can the Queen be in urgent need of my help? Cecil smiled, a little sadly, I thought. I think we both know, Sergeant Shardleg, that your skills run further than that. But I am sorry. I may give you no more particulars tonight. If you consent to come, the Queen will see you at Whitehall Palace tomorrow at nine. There she can tell you more. I thought again. Queens do not beg or ask a subject to visit them. They order. Before her marriage to the king, Catherine Parr had promised that while she would pass legal cases my way, she would never involve me in matters of politics. This clearly was something big, something dangerous, and in wording her message thus, she was offering me a way out. I could, if I wished, say no to young Cecil. You can tell me nothing now, I pressed. No, sir. I only ask whether you choose to come or no that you keep my visit entirely to yourself. Almost everything in me wanted to refuse. I remembered what I had witnessed that morning. The flames, the screams, the blood. And then I thought of Queen Catherine, her courage, her nobility, her gentleness and humour the finest and most noble lady I had ever met who had done me nothing but good. I took a deep, deep breath. I will come, I said. I told myself like a fool that I could see the Queen and then, if I chose, still decline her request. Cecil nodded. I got the sense he was not greatly impressed with me. Probably he saw a middle-aged hunchback lawyer deeply troubled by the possibility of being thrown into danger. If so, he was right. He said, Come by road to the main gate of the palace at nine. I will be waiting there. I will take you inside, and then you will be conducted to the Queen's chambers. Wear your lawyer's robe, but not your sergeant's coif. Better you attract as little notice as possible at this stage. He stroked his wispy beard as he regarded me, thinking perhaps that, as a hunchback, I might attract some anyway. I stood. Till nine tomorrow, then, Brother Cecil. He bowed. Till nine, Sergeant Shardlake. I must return now to the Queen. I know she will be glad to have your reply. I showed him out. Martin appeared from the dining room, bearing another candle opened the door for Cecil and bowed, always there to perform every last detail of a steward's duty. Cecil stepped onto the gravel drive where his servant waited beside the link boys with their torches to light him home, wherever that was. Martin closed the door. I took the liberty of serving the march pain to Dr. Moulton, he said. Thank you. Tell him I'll be with him in a moment. But first, send Timothy to my study. I went back into my room. My little refuge, my haven where I kept my own small collection of law books, diaries, and years of notes. I wondered, what would Barrack think if he knew of this? 
He would say bluntly that I should cast aside my sentimental fantasy for the Queen and invent an urgent appointment tomorrow in Northumberland. Timothy arrived and I scribbled a note for him to take round and leave at Chambers, asking Barrick to prepare a summary of one of my more important cases which I'd intended to do tomorrow. No pest on it. Barrick has to chase up those papers at the Six Clerks' office. I amended the note to ask Nicholas to do the job. Even if the boy came up with a jumble, it would be a starting point. Timothy looked at me, his dark eyes serious. Are you all right, master? he asked. Yes, yes, I replied irritably. Just harried by business. There is no peace under the sun. Regretting my snappishness, I gave him a half-groat on it.